0: The purpose of my talk today is uh, just to give uh, all of us an idea of of options for preventing caries. Uh, For the dental people, some of this is going to be very basic, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. There are a lot more slides in here than I'm going to be able to cover, but I'm going to put this online, so if you want any of the detail, you can go to the uh, Global Health Missions Conference website, and there will be a PDF file of all the slides, so you don't have to take notes if you i afraid you're going to miss anything. But uh, I'm a, an oral and maxillofacial surgeon. Uh, I work in uh, southeastern Minnesota. I live in Rochester, Minnesota. Uh, I just got in at two in the morning because I had to work all day yesterday. So if I fall asleep, just give me a kick, you know, and I'll, I'll wake up quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, no. um, anyway, uh, I'm in a group practice, but I also am um, on the board of a, a hospital in Guinea, West Africa, and that's uh, one of my primary uh, loves. I was born in Cameroon, West Africa. My parents were missionaries and uh, I didn't grow up there, but I've been doing uh, mission trips every year since I got out of uh, dental school, basically. Um, A lot of the material I have, I owe to Dr. Robert Yee and Dr. Bruce Walker. So uh, give them their acknowledgments. Uh, They lent me some of the material and slides. First of all, what is the problem? Uh, uh, Before we treat anything, we always want to have a diagnosis. And uh, the biggest problem worldwide, the most common disease is dental decay. Uh, It's the most prevalent condition affecting almost half of the world's population, uh, followed by tension, headache, migraine, uh, periodontitis, diabetes, and asthma. So you see out of the top five, two of them are dentally related. Uh, Sometimes this doesn't get uh, the publicity that it deserves because, you know, dental disease, people usually don't die of that, although they can. But uh, the amount of pain and suffering is, can be incredible. Uh, a lot of the material that um, this first section comes from uh, the Atlas of uh, Dental Disease, uh, and this is also available online. I couldn't post it because I didn't get permission from them, but you can go to uh, FDI World Dental Federation, type in Atlas, and uh, you can download a PDF of uh, the booklet that this is from. So if you look at just in a graphic form, uh, three billion people suffer from untreated decay of the primary and permanent dentition uh, compared with a billion people with migraines and then uh, three quarters of a billion that have uh, uh, periodontitis. Diabetes is next and then asthma. So most of the world's population will have oral disease in their lifetime only 60% of the world's population has access to dental care. Uh, and 60 to 90% of school children worldwide have dental caries. And toothache is the number one reason for absenteeism in schools in many countries. Uh, we know the DMFT index for the non dentist, that's just decayed, missing, and filled teeth. Uh, if you look at the distribution of oral disease, uh, you see that it's primarily. Uh, Carries is a a disease of upper and middle income and high income. Uh, Low income, uh, not so much because they don't have access to refined sugar. So uh, these little bars, this part of the bar shows the teeth that have been restored. Again, if you look at high income, even though there's a a high incidence of disease, uh, there's a high incidence of treatment, whereas in low income, uh, basically no treatment at all. And this is just a graph showing where uh, decay is distributed worldwide. The darker countries have a higher index of uh, decayed, missing, and filled teeth than the lighter countries. So a 1040 window. Uh, although the burden of oral diseases is decreasing in developed countries, uh, gum disease is becoming more common uh, due to dietary and uh, health factors such as smoking and alcohol abuse. Uh, this was interesting to me. High consumption of sugar is the number one risk factor for the teeth decay and diabetes, and almost 80% of the diabetic deaths occur in low-middle-income countries. Uh, obviously, uh, insulin is expensive, uh, it's a complex treatment, so people that have diabetes have a very short uh, life in, in most of the world. And if we look at the cost of diseases, this is from Western Europe. Uh, The amount of money spent annually on diabetes is uh, 137 billion euros, which is about $137 billion. Cardiovascular disease is second, and then all dental diseases are third. And then uh, Alzheimer's and on down to... And, uh, again, if you look at the amount of sugar consumption uh, in the high-income countries, that's why we have so so much dental disease. If you look at Africa, the amount of dental disease is actually lower uh, on a population basis because of the uh, uh, lack of availability of refined sugar. So there are over a million qualified dentists worldwide, uh, and they can restore... Aesthetics function in a healthy dentition, but unfortunately, uh, they're all distributed uh, uh, very unevenly. If you uh, look at some countries, they may have one dentist for 300,000 population. Uh, And again, this is a graph showing uh, the number of dental personnel per million people. Uh, So a dark country has fewer than 100 uh, dentists or dental personnel. Uh, It was interesting that China and India are in there. Uh, I, I hadn't thought of that, but India actually produces more dentists than any other country in the world. Uh, unfortunately, they most of them migrate to uh, Western Europe, the United States, and uh, other developed, more developed countries. Given the extent of the problem, uh, it's a major public health concern. Uh, it's the fourth, fourth most expensive disease to treat, uh, and if... Uh, most of the developing countries use their health budget for treating uh, just childhood dental caries that would overwhelm their budget. So, and it's untreated in approximately uh, 2.4 billion people uh, that don't have access to dental care. Uh, it's devastating to a person's quality of life and self-perception. And the primary dental treatment offered in most of these situations is tooth extraction which is what I do, so I, I'm a very popular person when I go on short-term trips. <laughs> Unfortunately, you know, I'm creating dental cripples when I do that. And uh, so the whole reason I started researching this is what, what can I do in the area that I'm working to, to prevent this rather than having to, to treat this. Uh, if you look at Guinea, uh, where I'm primarily involved, or this is uh, – 10-year-old statistics, but there are approximately 60 dentists in the country, uh, which means one dentist per every 156,000 people. Uh, compare it with Greece, there's one dentist for every 623 people. Uh, so our hospital that I work at is in Mamu, uh, Most of the Ebola was down in this area. We actually didn't have a confirmed case of, of, of Ebola at our hospital, uh, so we were just on the edge of the, the hot zone. Uh, this is our modern sign, <laughs> and this is our facility uh, we've been expanding. It started as a clinic about uh, nine years ago, and we've gradually been adding things. The dental clinic has been up and running now for two years, and we have a, a, Guine- a Guinean dentist uh, that we just hired on a trial basis, so we're going to see how he works out. But more important than treating disease, and this is something I picked up at this conference a number of years ago, Charles Fielding wrote a book called Preach and Heal, and, uh, it, just follows Jesus' model for uh, oral health and medical treating and preaching the gospel. Jesus wasn't either or. He was both And uh, Matthew 9.35 says Jesus was going about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. So our ultimate goal is bringing the gospel of the kingdom to as many people as possible, uh, however, if somebody's suffering in pain, they're not going to be receptive to what we have to say. Uh, if we eliminate the pain, they're open to spiritual discussion. Uh, but if we only treat the physical problem, they may feel better now, but they'll still have no hope for eternity. So this is our dental clinic. Which is just a one-room facility where, you know, we have plans to build a, a building and expand. Right now we just have one chair. Uh, very rudimentary, but uh, for what we can do, it's, it's, it's a start. Uh, but this is our hospital evangelist uh who's been very very uh instrumental in reaching the uh, majority uh, religion people in our country uh we've had hundreds of conversions true conversions we've had every day we do show the jesus film on the veranda and almost every day everybody raises their hand but uh, actual follow up uh, we can number in the hundreds now so uh it's god's been doing an amazing work there um, Dentistry 101 for the non-dentists. I'll just go through this quickly. The tooth is the hardest part of the body, uh, composed of a mineral called hydroxyapatite, uh, with a, which is mainly the enamel. And then there's the softer core, the dentin. Uh, there's baby teeth and permanent teeth. The baby teeth are pretty much gone by 16, and permanent teeth take over. Um, the etiology of dental decay and periodontitis is bacteria uh, and plaque. And plaque is just a soft, sticky layer of bacteria. And they're products that uh, adhere to the teeth and gums. Uh, When it combines with sugar, the plaque produces acid, the bacteria do. And they also produce toxins, which produce gum disease. So it's basically a biofilm that's on the teeth. This is just stained. Um, The two main uh, bacteria involved are Streptococcus mutans and lactobacillus. This is a high-quality radiograph of bacteria. (laughs) Anyway, we all know what decay looks like. it can primarily uh, affect pits and fissures and also in between the teeth, uh, the two areas that are hard to clean. And it's a process that's caused by remineralization and demineralization of the teeth. The acid in the mouth uh, causes the teeth to soften. The calcium leaches out. The hydroxyapatite breaks down uh, at a pH of about 5.5. Our normal pH is 7. So every time we eat uh, something that has sugar in it that decreases the pH and then gradually the saliva uh, brushing or whatever, the pH returns to normal and the teeth remineralize. So this is an ongoing process. The more frequently you expose the mouth to sugar, the more uh, the body doesn't have a chance to recycle the hydroxyapatite. And so people that drink Mountain Dew all day come to my office, I take out all of their teeth and then they get dentures. But uh, if you can control uh, when you expose the teeth and the length of uh, exposure, that has a big effect as well. Uh, decay stages, once the enamel breached, the soft dentin is, is less resistant, uh, reaches the nerve of the tooth. That's when you have a toothache. And this is a medieval, uh, <laughs> what the toothworm looks like inside the tooth. And if anybody's ever had a toothache, it's an excruciating pain. I have, unfortunately. But... Uh, I always, my patients always tell me I'd rather have a baby than be here getting this tooth extracted. So, um, And then periodontitis, we're not going to talk about, but the same etiology in that it's plaque, uh, but instead of affecting the tooth, it affects the attachment of the tooth. Uh, the body sends inflammatory mediators, which cause loss of bone and uh, soft tissue, and then the tooth loosens up and is lost that way. And, and So... Treatment is, is actually very simple or prevention, uh, plaque control. If we remove the biofilm, uh, we prevent decay, we prevent periodontal disease. Uh, this is a toothbrush tree in Guinea, uh, and this is uh, Dr. Joel Sayer. He's using uh, one of the toothbrushes that we pick from the tree. And it's actually a very effective means of cleaning plaque off the teeth. You chew the end of the stick, it softens up, and you can get it in interproximally, and it, it does work fairly well. Uh, and we all know how to brush our teeth, so I won't spend time on that. And then the other way to remove plaque is actually flossing. The third way is to have a hygienist take care of every three to six months, depending on your, carries, your control of plaque. Prevention of caries is actually very simple as well. Uh, we want to remove the etiologic factor, the bacteria in the plaque. Uh, we want to limit our exposure to sugars, which produce the acid, and then uh, we want to increase the host defenses, in this case, strengthen the enamel. And basically the only means we have, besides doing sealants, uh, would be to use uh, uh, fluoride, which can be given topically or systemically. Uh, fluoride turns hydroxyapatite into fluorapatite. So it replaces uh, one of the ions in the hydroxyapatite with a fluorine atom, which is much more stronger chemical bond which makes the tooth much harder and resistant to decalcification. Systemic forms of fluoride available are water, uh, tablets, and salt. Uh, topical or mouth rinses, toothpastes, gels, varnishes, and, again, water. So the anti-caries benefit, it slu- slows tooth demineralization, it promotes remineralization, and it slows and stops tooth erosion by inhibiting, uh, also inhibits plaque bacteria, uh, acid production. Uh, so if we look at that remineralization, demineralization chart, again, it actually lowers the effect of pH uh, that uh, demineralization occurs uh, so that the teeth, uh, it, it shortens the amount of time that the teeth are, are demineralizing and then also speeds up the time that they remineralize. Uh, it's the only anti-caries agent recognized by the F- Food and Drug Administration. It's publicly available, by uh, community water, salt, toothpaste, and oral rinses, and then professional applications, which we're not going to talk about because uh, they're all pretty much cost prohibitive in in the areas that that we're we're thinking about. Uh, If you go to the Internet and type in fluoride, uh, you're going to find an overwhelming, actually, amount of misinformation and uh, sensationalist anti-fluoride uh, things. If you look at them critically, you find out that uh, actually it's all, basically a lot of it is lies. Like this, this is a famous uh, quote in most of the videos that I watched uh, that Nazi Germany used water fluoridation and concentration camps to sterilize humans and force them into calm submission. And my former governor, Jesse Ventura, was on one of these videos talking about how Prozac was, had fluoride in it. And that's what the Nazis were giving to people in the concentration camps. And I didn't vote for Jesse. So <laughs> anyway, but if you look at the, the, the quote here and then you follow that book and where the guy got the information, it's all total fabrication. But there are uh, deleterious effects of fluoride. So there I mean... In extremely high doses, it can be toxic, just like water can be. But the amounts that are used in water fluoridation or in uh, dental treatment is very insignificant. But the main drawback or uh, side effect that uh, can be a problem, especially aesthetically, is fluorosis, where uh, if you have too high a concentration of fluoride systemically, it will affect the developing teeth. Uh, It's it's a disease of childhood. Once the teeth are formed, they don't develop fluorosis. But... uh, this is just a Maasai uh, child uh, in Kenya. Uh, my first short-term trip to Kenya, we went to Maasai land, and we've, uh, all of the local people had fluorosis. All of their teeth were rock hard. None of them needed extractions, basically. So I spent a lot of time treating government officials and school children that did come in with uh, People that are teaching in government schools or had uh, positions not not from Maasai land. The Maasai wanted me to pull their two front teeth out because that was the way that they uh, would get nutrition if they got lockjaw. (laughs) But anyway, uh, if we look worldwide at the use of fluoride, uh, our main uh, weapons are fluoride toothpaste. And you can see uh, about uh, one and a half billion people have uh, good access to fluoride toothpaste and use it routinely. Uh, water fluoridation, if you combine naturally level, natural levels of water with uh, treated water, about 400 million people have uh, fluoridated water. Salt fluoridation, about 300 million people. And then fluoride rinses, about 100 million. And then uh, drops in tablets and fluoridated milk are fairly insignificant. And this is probably the most helpful slide as far as if you're thinking of what can you do in the area that you're serving uh, What will work and what won't work. Uh, It's a pretty busy slide and I'm not going to go through all of it, but basically the longer the bar, the more effective and uh, practical the uh, intervention is. So uh, toothpaste in high income countries uh, is very suitable for implementation. It has a high evidence of strength. It's very applicable to the setting and uh, it's very implementable. And then you go all the way down to fluoridating milk. Uh, In low- and middle-income countries, uh, it doesn't work because there are so many different variables that you can't control, uh, including cost factors. So basically, we'll look at these three, toothpaste, water, and salt fluoridation. Uh, Cost is probably going to be our biggest limiting factor in our situations that we're dealing with. Uh, You know, professionally applied dental sealants work very well. But $21 a person, uh, you're not going to get very far in a country that has an annual budget uh, for health care very insignificant. Fluoride supplements also work. They're also very expensive. Water fluoridation uh, for $0.50, cents, uh, you can fluoridate the water supply if it's a big community uh, at an annual cost per person of $0.50. Cents. And then salt fluoridation, which is a factor of about 10% lower than that. So let's look at water fluoridation first. Uh, This is the United States. We have 74 million people that are on systemic water systems that don't have fluoride in their water. Uh, And then there are a number of people, such as I, that are on well water. And, you know, my kids all have cavities because we tried the fluoride tablets and they weren't compliant. And so their pediatric dentist hates when they come in. But uh, we tried rinses. We tried everything. But uh, it does you know, just anecdotally, I have fillings in all my teeth because every place I lived did not have fluoridated water. So it's the CDC has recognized water fluoridation as one of the 10 great public health achievements of the 20th century. And uh, why is that? The problem that people have, in, you know, when they look at things, sometimes is they don't have a historical perspective. But if you look back to 1945, before water was fluoridated, over 75% of the adults in the U.S. were edentulists. Uh, first molar extractions in children were routine. Three to four new cavities per year were typical in school-aged children. Uh, and there was a 10% rejection of recruits for World War II because uh, the minimum was they had to have six opposing teeth. So if you take 10% of the male population applying to join the service uh, were rejected because they didn't have six teeth that were in in function. Uh, And of those that were accepted, 40% needed immediate dental care. So the water fluoridation benefits are obvious. Uh, We have seven years of experience now. Uh, The reduction in caries is anywhere between 18 to 40% and uh, even higher in high-risk children. Uh, And then if you look at worldwide, uh, these are the countries that have um, access to fluoridated water, and the countries that aren't colored, uh, information is either not available or, or not uh, uh, accurate. So, how did we come to the idea that we needed 0. 0.7 to 1 per, part per million uh, fluoride in the water? Uh, basically, we try and balance. This is the reduction in decay, and it, it plateaus out at about you know 1.5 percent uh, versus the incidence of fluorosis. Uh, very mild fluorosis is. Usually not detectable unless you dry the teeth, uh, you know, in the dental chair and blow air on it. Then you can see the whites, white spots and so forth. Uh, so originally uh, the recommendation was 0.7 to 1.2, depending on whether you lived in a northern climate and didn't drink a lot of water versus a southern climate. Uh, as of April 2015, that's been changed. Uh, it's now 0.7% or parts per million uh, because of the halo effect. And uh, But the halo effect is is that even people that don't live in areas of fluoridated water are exposed to fluoride through drinking uh, pop that's uh, processed in areas that have uh, fluoride in it or processed foods or fluoride toothpaste or any other source of fluoride. And so when the original community water fluoridation studies were done, none of those sources of fluoride were available. Fluoride toothpaste wasn't routinely marketed until the 60s. So uh, you get an increase in uh, the level of fluoride in the population without the water. And so you actually have shifted this curve for fluorosis significantly to the left. So uh, the recommendation is now 0.7 rather than 0.1% or parts per million. Uh, A recent uh, systemic review, how many are familiar with Cochrane reviews? Okay, Uh, if you want really solid evidence-based material, uh, they basically are, are the set the standard. They do systemic reviews, go through all the articles on whatever subject they're, you're looking at. If you have a question, you can Google it. They'll uh, eliminate any article that is scientifically invalid. And then they'll take all the valid articles, uh, combine the data, and then come up with their conclusions so if they, they make a conclusion on something, it's usually pretty pretty scientifically valid. Uh, unfortunately, they usually hedge and say more research is needed on a lot of lot of different topics. but this is one topic there's there's no doubt uh, that fluor- water fluoridation works. Uh, the overall results of the study show that at point point seven parts per million uh, there's a 12% chance of developing fluorosis. And this is from more recent studies, older studies, that was not the case. And they found insufficient information to determine whether it actually helped uh, decay levels of people from poorer or more affluent backgrounds. But fluoride has been a, a tremendous success story. Uh, this is fluoridated, water fluoridated countries versus unfluoridated countries. But if you look at the decayed Michigan-filled teeth in the uh, – industrialized world, these are, I mean, the the decrease is just tremendous. And um, and a high percentage of that is probably due to toothpaste and uh, increased oral hygiene. And then uh, the fluoride, even though these unfluoridated countries don't do fluoridated water, they have other means of fluoride. Either they have school programs where the children use fluoride mouth rinses and brushing, or they have fluoridated salt or uh, one other method of fluoride. So... um, how many people have know anything about salt fluoridation? Because, I mean, it was something totally new to me. And uh, it is actually uh, very effective, although we'll talk about the drawbacks. Uh, but it's very cost effective. Of all the methods, it's the least expensive on a per capita basis. Uh, it's, a, it's a community fluoridation program alternative. It's controlled by the addition of fluoride, compound, and salt uh, for its karyostatic effect. Uh, the usual concentration is 250 parts per million fluoride. Uh, in combination with iodine. Uh, these are countries that have established salt fluoridation programs. Uh, so, quite a few. Uh, a lot of countries are, are coming on board. Their newer programs are being established in Central America and then also in Southeast Asia. Safety, uh, it's compatible with iodine, it doesn't affect that uh, benefit. Uh, and toxicity, you'd have to eat a, about three pounds of salt in a short period of time to have any toxic effect. And the chloride and the salt's going to do you in long before the fluoride would. And the amount of carriers reduction is considerable. If you look at these studies from Central and South America, um, up to 83% reduction in the amount of uh, decay. Um, Its public health efficacy depends on the availability of the salt, how it's distributed, how it's marketed, package size available, and then how it's consumed uh, institutionally or uh, in private settings. Uh, Cost benefit analysis before they did uh, the salt uh, fluoridation in Bolivia showed that a one dollar investment would probably save at least $136 in dental uh, treatment in the six year period of of what they were planning on. the investment to implement the program uh, was estimated about $347,000 uh, for 25 plants, uh, which is about 50 cents per person for six years. Uh, the technology we won't spend a lot of time on. There's two different methods: so a wet method and a dry method. It's just how you mix the fluoride into the salt. The wet method, uh, it's you know, it's a moist. It, you mix it and then you dry it. Uh, the dry method, you just mechanically mix it. And uh, the dry method is usually used for smaller uh, salt size, uh, and sodium fluoride is the the additive of choice. And this just shows, you know, it's it's very rudimentary and very inexpensive. Although, you know, you can have a higher yield uh, type of machinery as well. The wet method is usually a continuous process for larger production facilities, and potassium fluoride is usually used, and it's better for uh, coarse salt. And so it's a little more high-tech, basically. So you have the crude salt that uh, goes to wholesalers, animal feeds, uh, supermarkets, wholesalers, small shops, and ultimately ends up in the consumer. And this is just fluoridated salt uh, from, uh, that you can buy in the grocery store. Uh, the cost of the fluorides uh, per ton of salt, depending on the type of fluoride you use, uh, is not that significant, $2.76 per, per ton for sodium fluoride. <clears throat> but it, it does require a little bit of preparation and groundwork to institute a program. You have to be able to do some feas- feasibility and baseline studies, including training, quality assurance, and control of the fluoridation process itself. Uh, you have to do epidemiologic surveillance and management uh, Of Systemic and topical fluorides, obviously the halo effect again, if they're already using fluorides or it's in the water uh, You're going to see an increase in fluorosis if you're adding it to their diet as well And then you need to inform and educate and communicate why you're doing this and how it works Uh, And you have to have the legal mechanism in the country to be allowed to do that. So those are all hurdles that uh, can can cause problems Uh, dental fluorosis uh, survey. Uh, You want to go into the population. If there's already fluorosis, you're probably not going to want to add more to that problem. Uh, You want to know how much fluorine is in the the water supply. Uh, Before we gave our kids fluoride tablets, we had to get our well tested so we knew what our baseline was. And then continuous monitoring of the water supply as well. Uh, How much other fluoride is used in the populations. Again, professional fluoride applications isn't recommended as a mechanism for children under six. Uh, Fluoride supplements are not recommended when fluoridated salt is available. Uh, You can continue with other health proportional programs. Brushing uh, is important for plaque removal regardless. Uh, You're doing it more for periodontal reasons. And uh, you can lower the actual fluoride concentration of the toothpaste available in the market if you want. Uh, But the recommended level is 200 to 250 milligrams of fluoride per salt, per part per million. Okay, uh, now we'll move on to uh, fluoride toothpaste. Uh, That might be too much, but (laughs) Um, fluoride toothpaste remains the most widespread and significant form of fluoride use globally and the most rigorously evaluated uh, vehicle for fluoride use. Um, Why do we use toothpaste? Decay prevention is the number one reason. Um, plaque control secondary or primary, and then reduction of tooth sensitivity, whitening and bleaching and freshening breath. Those would all be US types of problems. You know, we talk about first world and third world problems. Uh, if you don't have teeth, you don't have to worry about uh, sensitive teeth. Uh, best toothbrushing practices, practice. We all know this, brush twice a day. Don't rinse after brushing. Use a pea-sized amount of toothpaste. And for children under six, uh, supervise it and just use a smear. Uh, it's a $14 billion a year industry. Uh, and uh, Dr. Yee, who I got some of these slides from, actually did this study in Nepal where they showed that a $1 spent promoting the use of fluoride toothpaste saved between $87 and $356 in treatment costs. So very cost effective as well. Uh, if you, what happens if you use non-fluoride toothpaste? It's still a benefit. You, know, you still reduce decay because you're removing bacteria. Uh, but uh, by adding fluoride, it significantly increases that. Uh, again, another Cochrane review. They reviewed 74 studies. That it was effective on permanent and deciduous teeth, uh, 24% reduction, regardless of whether the water uh, was fluoridated or not. And then it increased with higher fluoride concentrations. So factors to consider, uh, concentration of the fluoride, how frequently it's used, whether it's supervised, whether you're rinsing afterwards, and then the bioavailability of the fluoride. You can have toothpaste with fluoride in it, but if it's not the free fluoride ion that can get incorporated into the enamel, it's not really doing you any good. And then storage, uh, again, toothpaste, the fluoride breaks down over time depending on how it's stored. So what's the most effective concentration? 500 parts per million is much less effective than 100 to 200 or 1,000 to 2,500 parts. Uh, And it increases significantly with with the uh, increase in fluoride up to a point. Uh, Frequency of brushing, obviously the more frequently you brush up to a point twice a day is is a, a benefit. Uh, some of those anti-fluoride studies, they will take a case report. There was a woman that was brushing 20 pi- times a day and swallowing the toothpaste, so she got skeletal fluorosis. And so they put that as a reason that we shouldn't put fluoride in the drinking water. But anyway, twice a day, you're not going to have that problem. Don't swallow the toothpaste. I think that's pretty <laughs> self-explanatory. Uh, um, and then the effectiveness of the supervision. This is important for what I want to do when I go back to Guinea. We want to set up, we have a... a Christian school that we've established, and we have a number of kids from the community. And so I want to set up a program where we're uh, doing supervised brushing, uh, incorporating that into the school day. Uh, If if children had a cup and they could rinse after brushing, they had a much higher uh, caries incidence. Uh, We won't spend much time on the fluoride compounds. Just know that they're stannous fluoride and amide fluoride are both antimicrobial, or sodium fluoride and sodium monofluorophosphate are not. Uh, If you compare the efficacy of sodium fluoride, uh, they're basically the same as far as caries reduction. Uh, But it has to be bioavailable, and there were studies that showed sometimes the fluoride will bind with, uh, especially if you use calcium, uh, sodium fluoride uh, will bind to the calcium, and it it will become non-biologic, Uh, and calcium fluoride is insoluble. Therefore, it doesn't adhere to the teeth. And sodium monofluorophosphate can be used with calcium. And effective storage, uh, stored at an ambient temperature uh, or air conditioning can make a big difference. Uh, About 40% of the fluoride or up to 40% can be lost at higher temperatures. And then this was a study that was interesting. It just showed uh, the amount of available fluoride and commercially available toothpaste in different parts of the world. Even though you had 1,000 parts per million of fluoride, uh, you only had effective free ionized uh, 92 parts per million. So there's a significant gap in uh, how much and how the toothpaste is made and how effective it's going to be for the population. yeah, uh, so, pretty good. Uh, yeah, yeah our, all the ones that we have commercially available here, I would say are probably, you know, if they've got the ADA seal of approval, they, they probably pass muster. Uh, 70% of the fluoride should be bioavailable before the end of the expiration date. Uh, it's usually about two years after production. And uh, that's the ISO standard, but it doesn't test for, the ISO standard doesn't test for how much uh, ion is actually available. But the other thing about toothpaste is that you can't use it if you can't afford it. Uh, You can't use it if you can't afford to buy it. Uh, What is an affordable toothpaste? One that's available at a price that allows people to purchase it. So if you look at uh, availability of fluoride toothpaste uh, in the days of household expenditure by the lowest 10% of the population to buy a year's supply of toothpaste, the United States, uh, you know, it's one-tenth of one percent of your daily income is what would cost you to keep you in a year's supply of toothpaste. Uh, If you live in Zambia, you have to work for 30 days to be able to buy the same amount of toothpaste. And obviously that's not going to happen. So making fluoride toothpaste affordable is is one of the big things that we need to look at in our environments. Uh, Some of the methods of controlling is you can control how much toothpaste is on the brush. Like that first slide I showed, you you don't need that much toothpaste. You just need a pea-sized amount. And you can control that by... Uh, making the uh, orifice on the the tube smaller so that uh, people are not going to give it a big squeeze and take out too much. Um, You can use the drop technique and uh, fluoride toothpaste gels are very cost effective and easy to to produce and they are easier to use. So uh, this is just a a sample of what what some of the school programs use. Incredibly, a lot of governments tax toothpaste, so you have something that's a benefit to your government and you're taxing it to uh, make it less available for people. Uh, You need local production that brings the cost down. Packaging and efficient uses all affect how affordable they're going to be. And we all know for tooth cleaning and routinely we should uh, start tooth cleaning after teeth erupt. Toothbrushing with smear amount of fluoride toothpaste once daily after six months. pea sized amount after age two. Okay. Um, and then this is uh, kind of a prototype of what I'd like to do where I'm working. Um, and this is all uh, from Bruce Walker. He's a dentist that uh, serves in Indonesia. Uh, he spent a number of years developing this program. Um, and it's a it's a multi-passive program. It's, it's not just toothbrushing. It's also of decreasing intestinal worms and malnourishment. Uh, In Indonesia, tooth decay was the main reason, perhaps, in uh, West Java where he is about 61%. uh, Oral disease in Indonesian children ranked in the top ten in the world because they do have access to refined sugar. They're just ashamed of their
1: smile? Hmm? They don't come to
0: school
1: because they're ashamed of their smile? No, they don't come to school
0: because they're in pain and they can't study because they can't concentrate. But, yeah, if, I mean, if it was just that, that wouldn't be bad. <laughs> but, it, unfortunately, it's worse. Um, 44% of the population ex- lacked uh, clean water or appropriate sanitation, open, open sewers, et cetera. Infectious diseases, diarrhea, and upper respiratory infections were the leading cause of death for children. Uh, millions of Indonesians are infected with West Java with uh, intestinal worm infection. And my own experience in Africa with this has also been good. We used to go every year to uh, one area in western Kenya, and we would deworm all of the school kids in a, an area of about 50 miles. And if you compared those kids with the kids you know that lived 10 miles away, uh, they were much healthier. I mean, they didn't have the distended bellies, et cetera, et cetera. And it was just a once-a-year worming that made a tremendous difference. Uh, anyway, they can't absorb food because of the worms uh, and they're most vulnerable as young children. And it's all due to san- sanitation. If you have open defecation, uh, poor drainage, etc. So, why focus on schools though? Uh, first, it's a place where children, parents, and community all gather together. Uh, children spend most of their time in schools. It's the ideal place to institutionalize behavior. Uh, we have teachers that serve as role models. Existing school personnel can be trained. Uh, schools provide adequate manpower. Uh, daily tooth brushing with fluoride toothpaste. Daily hand washing with soap and twice a year deworming is were the goals of this program. Uh, and then these are just uh, what they use as their epidemiology. Uh, and again, they found that at the... 1,500 parts per million fluoride was what they used rather than 1,000 in that situation because there were no other sources of fluoride, including water, and it was supervised brushing. Uh, The effect of washing hands with soap on diarrhea, uh, reduced diarrhea about 47%, just washing your hands twice a day at school, Uh, and it decreased intestinal infections and sugallosis also. Uh, the treatment increased about 20 to 50 percent of the mass of uh, worm load in each child, and the incidence decreases 50 percent or greater if it's done twice a year. So basically, you have evidence basis for interventions, uh, and just a matter of instituting it. Uh, and then the bottom line is, what does it cost? Uh, in Indonesia, uh, they have good manufacturing facilities. Uh, you can make toothpaste gel very economically, soap and toothbrushes. So around 50 cents per year, per child is what the cost is, uh, which is, you know, almost anybody can do that. What they like to do is create a school facility where you have a hand washing and brushing station for each child uh, for, because it paves, uh, encourages uh, good habits, highlights the importance of water and sanitation. So this are just some of the examples of the, what they set up uh, and that's Dr. Walker, and they've done this in, I think, about 25 schools now. And uh, recently he got called in uh, to the government, uh, and they had a a big celebration. This is great for uh, if you're working in a situation where you want to develop links with government officials because it makes them look good, it's a benefit for the children, uh, and it opens doors for the gospel. So... Because the partners are going to need the Department of Education, provincial leaders, local government leaders, principals and teachers, health personnel, parents, and then uh, if you need financing, you need sponsors as well. So the expected outcomes were 30% reduction in diarrhea, uh, 20 to 30% reduction in respiratory infection, and 50% reduction in worm infections, 50% reduction in tooth decay. And that increased uh, school attendance and school performance. So um, then I'll just got two slides left. Fluoride rinses are are good. Uh, they're not economically feasible, but they do work. Uh, so that's something else to keep in your armamentarium. And then uh, it can be used in combination with topical fluorides. It's not extremely significant, and it's not something i would use in the third world, but it is something worthwhile. So... Uh, <laughs> i got enough time. Actually, I've, I've got a short video, if you want, on that uh, school program. Play that, and then uh, we'll have about 15 minutes left over for questions.
1: You know, um, dentists say, like, after you're out of your school, you don't need to use the fluoride treatments.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a topical effect that's, you know, there's two effects, the systemic and the topical. So when the teeth are developing, fluoridated water is, is helpful because it, it's getting into the developing teeth. Once the teeth have developed, you still have the topical effect from the demineralization and remineralization. So, you know, optimally you want to have a fluoride exposure to the teeth while the teeth are de- remineralizing. If you have fluoridated water, that's happening automatically. If you don't have fluoridated water, then you need to brush or use a mouth rinse. What about that thing where they put the trays? That's a short term, but it's very effective short term. But it's just it's probably not cost effective. You're probably just as well off using for the same amount of money. Right? Yeah, you'd be better off using a a fluoride rinse on a regular basis for the for the same amount of money because then you're increasing the number of exposures. Like I use a fluoride rinse uh, at night. Uh, after a brush and floss,
2: According to statistics provided by the Department of Education, the number one reason for absenteeism amongst elementary school children is toothache. Accounting for up to 60% of non attendance Other significant causes for children missing school are respiratory infections, diarrhoea and intestinal parasite infections. Our Healthy Hygienic Habits Programme addresses these health problems with three simple solutions. Firstly, daily hand washing with soap, Secondly, daily toothbrushing with fluoride toothpaste. And thirdly, a biannual administration of deworming medication. The Partner Aid team has been training, mobilising and coordinating with government departments, local schools, teachers and parents in order to implement these three basic hygiene habits into the lives of elementary aged children.
3: Nama saya Ahmad Suardi. Saya komite di SMK Margasari ini dan ini anak saya. Namanya Sabila Aziza. Dia kelas 6 sekarang. Nah, dari sebab itu penting bagi anak-anak itu untuk dilatih sehat. Nah, untuk apa namanya untuk dia bisa melakukan kebiasaan yang sehat itu harus mulai dari kecil. Sejak ini, makanya anak-anak dari kelas sekolah dasar ini dibelajari terus-menerus secara kontinu dan itu akan melahirkan sebuah kebiasaan. Dan kalau kebiasaan itu dilakukan dengan baik, maka dia akan memberikan kontribusi terhadap kesehatan, tubuh secara keseluruhan.
2: Where necessary, extra assistance and funding are given to schools so that they can construct the facilities required for daily handwashing and toothbrushing. The program has been successfully launched in the cities of Banjar and Kuningan, and using indicators from similar projects in the region, we expect there to be a thirty percent decrease in the number of children missing school for health-related reasons. We want to do more, to see these simple, healthy, hygienic habits introduced in schools all across West Java, improving the lifelong health of elementary school children, which fundamentally has a positive effect on their education, and thus the continuing development of Indonesia.
0: Okay, well, hopefully I've given you some ideas on things you can do to improve your situations. We still have about 10, 15 minutes for questions. Are
1: there any programs where you can buy the toothpaste from, like, Walmart and Bulk or something, or wholesale? Has anybody done something like this
0: and get the toothpaste to them? It's, it's usually more cost effective to buy it in the country to find somebody there that can produce it uh, rather than importing oh, produce it. it there. Yeah, the, and I don't think there are probably any countries in the world where you can't get toothpaste. So rather than importing it, uh, the important thing is to find out if it's an effective toothpaste. Though, so. Right, because in that
1: India, that toothpaste was no good.
0: Right. But you can usually find some brand in most countries. Yeah. And, there, and like Kenya, uh, you have Colgate. Uh, In in Guinea, they have a French brand that we use. So I work with
3: um, YWAM ships, and we go to really remote locations in um, island nations and that kind of stuff. And a lot of times they don't have, they have supply ships that come maybe once every three months um, if the ocean is flat and they're able to get into the atolls and that kind of stuff. So what can we use in place of fluoride? Mm-hmm. Is there? Because a lot of times we go and they don't have resources. They're, they're malnourished. They're trying to live off of the land. And if they don't get the imported stuff that's brought in, what,
0: what kind of stuff would, could we use for dental? In the midst of that? Um, I mean, the, the question is, are there any other options besides fluoride in an area where... It's not available. I mean, basic oral hygiene is about the only thing. So, toothbrushes or, you know, whatever you can, can use. Yes? For the
3: physicians that we work with, um, what level of salt? Um, I'm just thinking hypertension because we see so much more of it. Is there, what's the break-off point where they have enough salt to fluorinate their teeth, but not so
0: much that it contributes to hypertension. Yeah, the, the 200 parts per million is kind of a balance. I mean, obviously the more fluoride you have, the better. But, it again, salt in and of itself is, is toxic in high doses, and it causes hypertension and uh, renal problems. So you have to kind of balance that. You don't want to increase their salt production. So the, the recommendation is based on a normal diet uh, rather than somebody that's using too much salt. And even if you use just a small amount of salt, you're still going to have a, a fairly significant benefit. But I don't have... We can
1: assure them that we're not inducing hypertension, we're
0: just fluoride we're, we're not encouraging them to use more salt, we're just encouraging them to use salt that has fluoride in it. That's not an area I've uh, looked at, but a lot of those things, unless there's some, you know, clinical controlled studies that show there's benefit, um, you know, it's 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 hard for me to say because I don't I don't think there's any additive other than fluoride that's really been clinically tested, uh, and there's a lot of secondary market uh, over the counter stuff that, you know, may or may not be beneficial, but we just don't know because we don't ha- haven't been rigorously tested. Would
3: baking soda
0: be a replacement for toothpaste in those areas? Yeah, except it's high in sodium, so that's one drawback on it. So if you have people that have hypertension, but it's very effective in cleaning teeth and it's, it's, it reduces acid, which is very good. It neutralizes the acid. So it was used for toothpaste for a long time, and there's a whole niche of uh, toothpaste in in the country that are baking soda based, And it's an effective, it it removes plaque very well. So, yeah, if that was available and it was inexpensive, it would be a good alternative. And maybe in your situation. I heard that
1: brushing with even just water is a big help. Yeah. To get the food off. And anything that
0: removes the acid and the the plaque is a a plus.
1: And baking soda, Mm -hmm. I heard. Is that, other than just whitening, does it also have other benefits? Yeah,
0: it, it neutralizes acid, and it's, it's a good abrasive. It's not too abrasive, but it, 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 causes, it cleans it to you. Yeah, go ahead. I am from Ghana. a couple of times. I have a few questions. You say
3: that in the Maasai area, they had a problem with flow abrasives. Mm-hmm.
0: Uganda, Uganda, not so much. It's it's the Rift Valley. Uh, So, if you look at Kenya on the map, there's the Rift Valley extends (laughs) down all the way from the Dead Sea, and the the Rift Valley, all the water in the Rift Valley is very high in fluoride. And Uganda, you're up on the plateau, so it's probably not a significant risk. Yeah, yeah. It, it they actually you know, they're they're a company that has international standards, so the same toothpaste you buy there is, is pretty much equivalent to what you buy here. But that's the whole point of branding, I
2: guess.
3: Um you said you once a year and you do that
0: Again, you can buy them there. They're very inexpensive in Kenya. We would just buy them in Nairobi, and it was less than five cents per student. And unfortunately, the reason we did it once a year is because we just went once a year, but twice a year would be more effective. So,
3: Yes. topical
0: fluoride treatment every few months? So yeah, every that, probably, probably not. I mean, brushing would be much more effective because the topical fluoride, if the teeth are coated with plaque, it's not, not going to help anyway. And the, the cost is probably, you know, for a, a fluoride gel is 10 times what it will be for toothpaste. So, much better off. And you, you'll use it more frequently, the, the fluoride gels and so forth. You, Using, you know intermittently uh, they're not going to be as effective because the more exposure you have the the better it works yes. like, um,
1: that's like, like, and um, then they go and teach that in like, their villages, wherever they're at. Is mm-hmm. that effective or good
0: practice or yeah very effective uh, you know the, the church here uh, has a, a, a mission offshoot. The missions pastor had. A, I don't know if you're familiar with Empower. Uh, I went on a trip to Ghana with them. That first slide I had was from Ghana, and basically doing more than that, they're training uh, church workers how to do basic extractions, uh, and uh, it's, it's been a very effective program. Because that, that one chart, if you look, Ghana had you know one dentist per 356,000 people. And, you know, there are a bunch of dentists in Ghana. There are a lot of them, but they're all in Accra and in the major cities. If You have to go way out uh, where we were was up in the northern part of the country, uh, Tamale, which, you know, there there was one government dentist and he was totally overwhelmed. So they were very happy to have have uh, people trained to do basic things. So, yeah, any, any kind of community health, uh, informational, educational, and hands-on things that you can do in, in situations like that, as long as the government is uh, goes along with it, then you have to do that part of it. But, do, you, do you source your like, instruments and things like that in your country that you're working in, or do you take those? Uh, Well, the way the Empower Program is, is you bring part of the... Uh, contract that you have when you train these pastors is they buy the their instruments. You bring them in and then uh, they, they purchase them. And so they're their instruments. And then that's their means of, of, of supporting themselves in those areas. So it depends on how much, what what you're doing. If you're just doing basic extractions, I think with the chair and uh, basic extraction instruments, it's maybe $1,500. Uh, you know, you can go all the way to getting a, a solar-powered handpiece and doing restorations and so forth, but that becomes quite a bit more expensive. But, I mean, when I when I did my dental trips, I, for just doing extractions, I put everything in a suitcase. You know, I'd usually do two suitcases, and uh, I had everything I needed, basically. And the cost of that would probably be under $1,000 if I bought the instruments on uh, eBay, which is what I usually do, and then I just leave them there. Yeah. Um, in the case of that situation, what would you do for sterilization of the instruments? Oh, we use pressure cookers. <laughs> yeah. But you can use cold sterilization, too. It's really not sterilization, it's disinfection. But, yeah. What have you found to be uh,
3: most effective on your trips in, as far as balancing the emergency care with prevention? Um, are you doing the prevention? education or are you having someone else on the team do that? Because I know it can be kind of overwhelming and you can kind of get into the extraction mode yeah. uh, and have been left uh,
0: prevention. Uh, we, we, so yeah,
1: what
0: have you found would be most effective? We, we would usually go to the schools and give them a, you know, a 45 minute talk on oral hygiene. Cause it, it would, and that, that was pretty effective because you we know, got the kids' interest but it, you know, you have to balance it. I mean, it, either you can spend all of your time just doing extractions and not interacting with anybody and not really making a difference. What I prefer to do is to have somebody that I'm working with that I'm training, and I let them do the work. I mean, the Empower program, it was hard for me because we weren't allowed to, to do any extractions. It, it was had to be people that were training because, you know, my tendency is I'm just going to jump in because, you know, this guy's not doing it right. Let me show him how to do it. But you don't learn by watching, you learn by doing. So, uh, the answer to the question is yeah, do do as much teaching as you can because you're going to be gone. And they're, they know the culture, they know the people, they know the language. So, uh, you, know, you want to have a long term impact. Yes. Do you just do extractions when you go? I do because that's all I do. Okay. Yeah. Is it like how? Yeah. How feasible is it to do like any? I don't know restorative work. Or, <laughs> that's not possible. Really. To do what? Like restorative work. Oh no. Our, our dental clinic in Guinea has. A, you know, I, I sent over a couple dental chairs and we have high-speed handpieces and. Uh, yeah. No, it's very feasible to do that. Few people can afford it. Our our whole goal at that hospital is to be self-sustaining. So, we charge enough that we can replace the amalgam or the composite. Uh, and we can usually get those fairly inexpensively, but uh, I, I'm trying to be as less hands-on as I possibly can because I want the dentist there to be in charge and empower him to do what he can do. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that's we just uh, put up a couple of units, and uh, we're just way, we're doing cold dip processing because that's about the only feasible way to do it. I, I went to Cameroon last summer because. Uh, they have a very well-developed dental program and I wanted to see how they do it, to see what I could do to improve what we were doing. So that was very helpful. Yeah. Uh,
3: I'm a nurse and I've been doing uh, medical dental information for the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the beginning, I was a nurse. Now I'm more of a dental hygienist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, my, uh, and my observation is like, in, in my own company, we do a lot of extractions, And... Um, we have a lot of um, healthcare workers un- un- underutilized. Mm-hmm. And it, my thought is like, how can I build a dental hygiene school in my country? Like, use, mm-hmm. like, like, at least a year and spread them out you know, into the villages. Because it's, uh, I lost all my teeth when I was a little girl, and I'm still having my implants right now. And I talked to my dent, the dental, government dental workers, uh, the dentists that I work with. And I told them that I was a little girl. This happened to me because there was no dental education. I came back here as a, dental, as a missionary nurse now, and the situation is the same. Mm-hmm. And I told them I was so frustrated with you. Mm-hmm. And my thought is like, what are you doing? Because now I came back, and the situation is the same. Sure.
2: Well, then my question, I think, is like uh, the dental association uh,
0: worldwide, uh, what are we doing? Yeah, and it, it, it starts with the government. It's not a priority. So first you have to educate them to the benefit. And then, you know, it's, it's basically up to each one of us to, to do what we can to start programs. Uh, and it takes a lot of work. I mean, to implement that toothbrushing program in the school, that was a five-year project portion of my, the islands I've been to, I was there for
3: three months, exporting like communities. Some, some of the schools are implementing what you've shown, mm-hmm. but not all of them. No. So I don't think the, the government is really cooperating. the no. It's just the, the brushing of the people, but there's nothing like the warming. Mm-hmm. The hand sanitation is not as much as uh, practice, but I saw that, you know, um, the brushing, uh, what we did is, uh, at the beginning, I, was, I went to a, a community and I was given 1,200 kids in front of me. One school, 2,000. And how can I teach? And then I said, I cannot do this. So they give me to uh, 360 kids mm-hmm. in one school. So when the team comes, we went to different communities. The team came from Chicago, Chicago-based. And I asked them to go... Um, Classroom by classroom by classroom. And I would buy the, the keys, mm-hmm. you know, that i use, uh, the dentist, the U.S.-trained dentists. Go room by room by room. And I ship uh, thousands of toothbrushes, thousands mm-hmm. of toothpaste. Uh, because it's very expensive back home. Yeah. But when I ran out, I told them to use baking soda. Yeah. So, because I yeah. have no other options. Just to share you, you know, what it you're works. doing. works. And when we do dental like, extraction, we have a regular chair, mm-hmm. and the chair is uh, at the back of uh, a tree, mm-hmm. and we have a little bucket that's covered with sand.
0: And that's where they speak. Yeah, that, that one slide I had. We made our own chairs out of two by fours. Yeah, I, I yeah if you need to go, it's, we're, we're we're done. But. Uh, I was just going to say, you know, the government, you need the government approval. But if we can do things through the church and through the the existing uh, church organization, that's a much better witness than setting up a government program. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for your attention.